Welcome to the Beauty Edit podcast from the industry.fashion. In this series, we will be exploring the stories behind some of the beauty industry's most prominent figures, from brand owners to editors, influencers and retailers. As well as finding out about their careers and their current roles, we discuss everything from tech to trends and product to projection for how this burgeoning beauty market will continue to grow. You can access our podcasts, including our In Conversation series for fashion, at the industry.fashion homepage or from Spotify, iTunes or from whichever channel you prefer. But remember to subscribe to ensure you never miss an episode. I'm Tom Shearsmith, news and features writer at the industry.fashion. On today's Beauty Edit podcast, we are joined by Rebecca Saunders, founder and CEO of Seekology. Seekology is an incubator retailer which provides opportunities for DTC brands to test the market, as well as create a customer experience focused on inspiration, education, discovery, and all important impartial advice. Prior to lockdown, Seekology operated a physical store featuring over 70 brands across beauty and well-being, and since recording the podcast has reopened in partnership with Bunty. We speak to Rebecca about her experience working in beauty buying at John Lewis. Strategy at J. Crew and Tiffany in New York. We also talk about the business, how retailers have responded to COVID, and where beauty and psychology are going next. Rebecca Saunders, CEO and founder of Psychology, welcome to the Industry.Fashion podcast. How are you? Because it's a strange new world that we're facing in 2020. I'm well, thank you. And and thanks for having me. It is indeed a very strange new world. And I would say things are adapting week by week, if not day by day. How has it been since lockdown? And now obviously we're out of lockdown, but we're not back to a perfect normality. How are you coping with that? It's been a pretty interesting time, both personally and professionally. Um, In the middle of March, uh, within a week, I had a baby and I closed my store, which I'd only launched in November 2019. So it's been very busy since then, as you can imagine, Um, not only with the new baby, but also thinking about the future of Seekology and where I want to take the business, having closed that shop, which was um, such an integral part of the launch. Well, congratulations on the baby. I was quite unaware. I didn't know you had a baby. Was it a boy or a girl? A boy. So Aww. he's uh, nearly six months already. Time is flying. Honestly, it has. I think we're in the ninth month of the year and I can remember winter and it's starting and it's so strange. And I can't tell if that's the lockdown or just the world we're in now, but it's gone and flew by. In many ways it has. And everybody's talking about Christmas again, which... Of course, in retail, we're always talking about Christmas, but yeah. it certainly seems to be coming around quickly this year. If I can start off then, because it's, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Christmas, because I've just seen John Lewis's Christmas store. So I want to know about your past experience, because you worked in investment banking, and then you worked in John Lewis as a beauty buyer. Can you tell me about that journey, how you go from one to the other, and how it led you to found Seekology? Absolutely. So I'm somebody who I really enjoy the creative process and working in a creative environment, but I'm also very analytical. And I'd studied economics at university and 
really went down the banking route because that was a, what a lot of my peers were doing. Um, and I, I didn't really stop to question it that much. And I spent four years as an investment banker in London and obviously learned a huge amount, but was really drawn to retail and consumer during that time. Um, so I specialized in those sectors. And then after about three years, I thought, well, what am I doing? I should go and work in these sectors if that's what I'm interested in. I didn't want to start again at the beginning. So I actually went to the States and I studied for an MBA at Columbia Business School, which is one of the few business schools that has a specific retail program. And it was absolutely fantastic. Um, every week we would meet different retail CEOs. We would be able to quiz them on what was working well, what they, what mistakes they'd made and what they'd learned along the way. Um, and I did a couple of internships whilst I was in New York as well. So came back to the UK, first of all, worked for Argos for a couple of years and then moved to John Lewis, where I, I spent five years in a number of different roles, firstly in strategy. Um, and then in buying. And I actually didn't start as a beauty buyer. I started buying computers. Oh, wow. So I was working with the likes of Apple and HP and Samsung and learned an awful lot about things like processors, which I'd, I'd never really stopped to think about before. Um, but it was a really great grounding as a buyer. And then when the beauty buyer job came up, I really just jumped at the chance because it was a category that I was really excited about on a, a more personal level as well. Worked with all of the big beauty brands, all of the Estee Lauders and L'Oreal's of the world. And then I started to get a bit more of an entrepreneurial itch. And I thought I should try working in a smaller company. Um, and I wanted to be somewhere that was also more digitally focused. So I went to Not on the High Street and I worked there for a couple of years, running lots of different categories and um, looking at everything from a, a product perspective to an e-commerce perspective as well. And then when I left Not on the High Street and had my first child, I worked as a consultant for a couple of years for all sorts of big companies and small companies across various different sectors whilst I was thinking about and honing the business plan for Psychology, um, which I spent most of last year working on full time and then launched in November with this store in Richmond. And if if you had to, to summarize Psychology really to the average Joe, uh someone who doesn't understand beauty or skincare, how would you describe what it is Seekology actually does? Or is it somewhere where you can put these small brands on a platform? If I was talking to a customer, I would say it's somewhere that they could go to discover new brands in beauty and well-being um, and go for inspiration and education. So tell me about this store because uh, you mentioned that it's no longer operating but that was only November 2019 so you've just said that you you wanted to move actually from uh, a retail to digital but then you've almost gone back into retail what was the the drive to to open an actual physical retail location a combination of things but my view is really that it's all retail whether it's online or, or offline but customers don't think in channels the way that we often tend to as an industry and as a customer you might do some research on social media and then you might go into a store because you want to talk to a person or you want to smell something or put it on your skin and then you might transact online so my view is always that I should create something that was fully multi-channel so that customers could shop wherever and, and whenever was important to them. And by opening the shop, I wanted to create something that was very different to 
existing beauty retail. I wanted to create something that, first of all, would be a destination to shop from independent beauty and well-being brands. So not the same brands that you can see in every beauty hall across the land. And secondly, somewhere that customers could go and get impartial advice. So really getting the right um, advice for what was right for, for their skin in particular. And then to create something that felt inspirational, that was all about storytelling, particularly the stories of these brands that I was featuring, um, whether that was through the store environment or through various different events. And I rotated the brands very regularly. So um, over the four months that the store was open, we featured um, 70 brands. Um, for most of them, we were their first ever experience of being in physical retail. Um, so again, offering something very different for our customers and offering something very different for those brands as well. And I, I, it's really interesting, actually, because you mentioned to me that one of the brands that you actually featured was one of the brands that we've featured on our podcast previously. That's right. Obviously, having spoke to Abby previously... I understand her journey. Her journey, I I would presume, is quite similar to a lot of these small brands that you've introduced. How was it that you approach a brand and say, we want to feature you, or do they come to you? How, how far and deep into that journey do you get? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. This is a really common theme that I see through um, independent brands that are potentially quite early in their journey of development. Mm-hmm. Um, and often, like Freya and Bailey, there's a wonderful product range. There's a wonderful founder. Um, and actually, for founders, getting those first proof points around sales are really important because it can be the springboard for them to what they do next, to going on to um, to sell into bigger retailers or grow their presence from a direct consumer perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, And actually, what I can offer is a great service to these brands in terms of helping them refine their proposition. Um, So that could be everything from actually the pricing isn't quite right or the messaging isn't quite right and customers don't understand them or even the packaging doesn't work when it's Mm -hmm. on the shelf. And often founders um, have tested things with friends and family, but actually getting that real life retail experience is something that's very valuable to them as part of their own brand development. Um, In terms of how I connect with brands originally, obviously having been in the industry before, I was pretty well connected. So I did contact a lot of people that I used to know and just said, do you know of any um, you know, interesting brands? Have you seen any? Um, I looked at some on Instagram. Um, I went to various networking events. And then actually very quickly, brands started approaching me because a lot of these brands are networking with one another. So, yeah. um, so they would come to me and say, oh, so-and-so has told me about psychology. It sounds really exciting. Can you tell me more? So that by the time I'd actually put together the proposition from a consumer perspective and I knew where the store was, I had, think I had spoken to nearly 50 brands who said they were potentially interested. And so from there, it was actually relatively easy um, to kind of call them up and say, look, this is what I'm doing. Do you want to be part of this? Um, and, and lots of them said yes and wanted to be part of that journey, which was really exciting. And and since we've launched, actually, we've had um, just 
quite an overwhelming interest from brands, particularly as a result of some of the trade press that we've been getting. So that's been quite exciting um, to have this amazing pipeline. And it also means that I can be quite selective and careful around the curation that I put together, which again is important from a customer perspective. Yeah, because you want to be able to to trust. If if you, if you go there, you pick an item and it's not the best. You have that that memory or that thought that I'm not going to go there again, and it would taint every other brand that you've got. So quite right. You mentioned about your online website. You're starting to offer a bit of a different service to just putting products up. You've got a online skin consultation. That's how, right. how, is that, how is that working? I've I heard the same from Abby. Abby was doing the same. And it seems like a lot of brands are doing this skin consultation. So I'm really curious to know what the market is for that and how it's how it's going. Yeah, it's been really exciting, actually. Um, I wish I'd launched it earlier. Um, so our skin consultations are run by a lady called Amelia, who was um, one of the store team leaders. And she is a real beauty expert. She worked for Harrods. She's worked for various different premium brands. Um, and she really knows everything there is to know about skincare. Um, and as I mentioned in the store, something that people really valued was that impartial advice that we could offer across various different brands. And so that's exactly what she's doing online as well. Um, and I think what's interesting is that even as shops have opened up, there are quite a lot of people who, for whatever reason, are less keen on going into shops, certainly yeah. on spending a lot of time in shops. Um, so particularly for those people, actually, I think it's been really valuable to have this kind of experience. And we've had some really fantastic feedback. Um, and the, the one that really spoke to me was a customer who said, Amelia really listened to me. Um, because I think that is so important for a customer to feel like they've been listened to and had the right recommendations made for them. Um, they haven't had a hard sell. It's, um, you know, for me, it's really important to build that trust with our customers because I want to, to build relationships with, the, with them for the long term. I want them to keep coming back to Seekology um, and shopping across our full range. So that's been quite exciting um, to launch that and get that kind of feedback. And since uh, lockdown, actually, have you noticed any trends when it comes to beauty brands? Are there, is there something that brands are, and customers are responding to? I think the category mix is the really interesting one for us. Um, and of course, it, it makes absolute sense that people are wearing less makeup um, because they're not going out as much. Um, particularly now, we have to wear the masks when we're going out. So you don't really want to be wearing lipstick because it's going to make a mess. Um, so there have been some news stories recently about the resurgence of eye makeup, which actually for us at Psychology, the, the biggest change has been that category mix um, away from makeup and towards skincare. Um, and we're starting to see a lot of replenishment on skincare now. So I think maybe in March and April, people had products at home and they just thought, oh, I'll just I'll just wait a couple of months. And then obviously it became apparent that things weren't opening up as quickly as they could have done and um, people were starting to look online for that replenishment purchase as well we're also seeing um some real growth in our gifting business too which i think is really exciting in terms of what will hopefully happen later on this year um but that's that's more relevant around categories like bath and body yeah. Um, where I think people have realized they're not going to be able to see their friends and family as regularly or or at all. 
Um, and that means that they do want to send people those little pick me ups, um, little reminders um, and do things for birthdays, etc. So we're definitely seeing quite a big business around that gifting side, too. And sometimes people just want to treat themselves. Oh, absolutely. Having to go out and buy a nice bath bomb just because. Exactly. And I think those little luxuries as well, especially for the customers that may have, um, you know, been regular spa goers or regularly got facials or got their nails done. Actually, they're not spending that money on those activities. So, um, you know, Mm -hmm. buying yourself a new nail varnish, buying yourself um, a new facial oil or a facial tool, actually, that's something great that you can do to create a little bit of self-care for yourself at this difficult time. And if we're to look at a world almost post-COVID, and I'm asking you because you've got such extensive knowledge of the beauty industry, where is retail, be it e-tail or retail, for beauty going? Because obviously we've had pre-COVID, we got used to such a perfect world, now we're almost on COVID, if you like, but there is going to be a point where we are post-COVID and the future of retail is changing. Where are we going in terms of that, in in your opinion? Well, you're right. The future of retail is changing, but it was already, already changing. Um, and I think as we're seeing with so many industries, it's an acceleration of some of the existing trends. Mm -hmm. Um, But I certainly believe that there could be a really exciting future for physical retail in beauty. Um, And I think it will start to look very different. We are going to see more department stores dropping out of the market. Um, But those consumers who were going to those department stores, particularly in the regional centers, those people will still want to buy beauty. And so actually, I think it's quite interesting if you look at um, what the likes of Next are doing, you're looking at um, Harrods new beauty offering in some of these centers. Um, Actually, there'll be new business models and new players that come to the fore um, to take on that role. And what I what I really hope for us as an industry is that those new players and, and psychology is one of them can do something really different. That's really exciting for consumers. So hopefully it will offer a reason to come back to the high street and actually that's not just about beauty i think that applies across all of retail as well um that you've got to give customers a real reason to go a great experience but actually once they get there if they have that great experience they will keep coming back yeah i mean it's interesting you mentioned that actually because i was speaking to someone from uh caci uh, and they've recently launched a new retail model um for landlords and tenants because there's a lot more value sometimes when it comes to experience than footfall or income. And that's what the current model is based on. And the trajectory is only going to go down. If we're going to look at experiences, how do brands create that positive experience going forward for their their consumers? I think it's firstly about understanding who their consumers are, then creating the right experience for them um, in the right place. Um, so some of our consumers actually are um, more mature and so they're not necessarily on social media, although increasingly so they are. Um, but actually, physical retail, I think, particularly in some of these local centres like Richmond, will continue to play a really important part in the lives of those particular consumers. So for them, it's about a brand creating an experience that, that caters to those consumers and is 
inspirational for them and gives them that reason to go back to the high street. Mm-hmm. Whereas for, you know, if you're a brand that is catering towards a much more kind of urban millennial, then maybe physical retail is, is less important overall, but you might use it in kind of short, sharp bursts to really do some kind of exciting activations and supplementing that with the activity that you do across social media. Um, so I think it, there's no one size fits all really when it comes to experience. I think with so many things, it comes down to knowing who your customer is um, and what they want and then trying to provide something that is even better than they could have possibly imagined. Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's it's not about having essentially a retail store that's just going to cater for the sake of retail. It's about making sure you understand your audience and adapting it for them. If we're going to to look at the future, then where do you think the future is going? Uh, I mean, at the moment, you said, for example, the rise in in sales for makeup that is above the nose has has gone up dramatically because we won't be in masks forever. No, and I think at the point where we don't have to wear masks when we're asking about, there could be a real resurgence as people get excited again by the things that they're allowed to do and the places they're allowed to go. And um, I've heard people talking about the new roaring 20s. So I definitely hope that's true. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it, it's evolving um, and it, it could be another year until we're really out of the woods on this one. But I think through that time, what we will see is these trends continuing to accelerate. So we will see this, um, you know, digital sales continue, continuing to be very strong. But the retailers that are going to be successful are the ones that will be doing something different. And for psychology, that's about the curation that I can provide, but also the the elements that I described earlier around inspiration and education. So trying to create something that feels very different um, and using that experience in and of itself as part of the marketing for my own brand and also for the brands that I partner with. Stick with the future, but not as not as far into the future, actually. There is a potential future for retail, for psychology. What what is happening there? What can you say? Yes, well, I will be able to say more very very soon. But I am super excited to say that we will be back in physical retail this side of Christmas. In fact, very soon. So um, probably by the time this is airing, if you go onto the Psychology website, you will be able to find out where we are and what we're up to. Um, I am looking at very flexible retail. I think that's a prudent thing to do as a, a shopkeeper. Um, given what's happening at the moment. Um, but I also think there are new ways of thinking and new ways of collaborating, and that's what's been exciting. And I've talked to lots of people over the last few months from some of the big landlords that we were just describing to um, independent landlords to third parties. Um, and so what I'm putting together, I think, will be something that is is maybe a little bit different in terms of what you would see from a retail perspective with a partner who really shares the ethos and values of psychology. And so I want to recreate the experience that we had in the original store, but actually offer something more to our customers. Um, and I'm hoping that we can also start to offer some events this side of Christmas as well. And they might be hybrid physical and digital events too, um, because uh, obviously with constraints around how many people you can have in one space, 
some of these things are going to be difficult. So we just have to be adaptable. We have to think differently. We have to try things and learn from them. And that's something I feel really positive about. Well, good. I hope so. I mean, I hope there's even the smallest of events. I just hope there's something that can bring joy to people again. And to some people, it is skincare. Some people, it is beauty. Some people, it's fashion. But I want I want people to go out and have a reason to smile again. So it's really good to hear that you're at least working on something. Yes. So I hope that everyone gets excited when they hear that. But I'd just like to say thank you for giving me your time and thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's been great. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Beauty Edit podcast from the industry.fashion. Don't forget to sign up to our weekly newsletter so that you can stay up to date with breaking news and podcasts just like this one. Sign up at the industry.fashion slash beauty.